I just want to take a couple of moments before we close in prayer to share something I believe the Lord has just put on my heart. It was some years ago, my wife and I had a wonderful experience of going to South America on a missions trip. And as we went to South America, we were there for several days ministering. And the people were just so loving and God was moving. And it was on one of the days that we had off, that they allowed us to go sightseeing and some shopping. And I remember going with my wife and we began to go to the little stores shopping. If there's anybody in this building tonight that go, likes to go shopping, say amen. Amen. Women, there's men that like to go shopping also. And the interesting thing is that when I was going shopping, I was looking for something that maybe you would not think I was going shopping for, but I was going shopping for some vases, some clay jar vases. And as I began to go to the shops, I began to look and I began to see the colors and, and the texture and how beautiful they were. And I said, that's a nice vase. And I went somewhere else and I went somewhere else. And finally, I came back to one of the stores and I said, I want those three vases. I remember going back to the hotel and I began to just admire them and began to look at them. And I knew exactly where they were going to be placed in my house. Come on, you've been there when you want something dear. You buy it and you know where it's going to go. And I remember the next night we went to minister. And after ministering that evening, we came back to the hotel. And I, right before I was going to go to bed, I said, let me look at my vases one more time. And I opened up a, I'd opened up a bag that I had them in and I, I began to take the newspapers off and the coverings off and I began to look at them and I said, I know where you're going. Well, the next day we're leaving from the hotel and I said to my wife, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm just going to check everyone out of the hotel. So once I do that, I'll come back upstairs and we'll bring all the luggage down. I was at the front desk and I got caught up a little longer than I should have and they were doing some paperwork. And my wife, being the good wife that she is, she decided to come with two suitcases and a bag and everything down to the lobby. Well, one of my friends saw her and said, you know, your husband is a bum making you carry all those bags by yourself. And he had this duffel bag over his shoulder with my vases. Exactly. <laughs> and when he got to the lobby, I was probably 20 feet away from him, 25 feet away from him. And he said, what kind of husband are you that you would leave your wife carrying all the bags? Here's your bag. And he drew it. <laughs> exactly what I said. The moment I saw the bag in the air, I just, everything went into slow motion. The bag dropped to the ground. Everything was shattered. Immediately he panicked. And he looked at me and said, I didn't know that was in the bag. And I said, you're a dead man. That's my vases. I remember sitting down at the lobby of the hotel and opening up the bag and literally holding the vases and they were in so many pieces. And I began to say, how could it be? You broke my vases. I remember coming back on the plane and thinking, 
my vases have been shattered. Oh, but when I got home, I was not going to be defeated. I got some glue. I started putting it together little by little. After putting it together, I cleaned them up. And I put it on the shelf exactly where they were going to go. And no one knew that on the backside of that vase, there were cracks and there were all kinds of uh, uh, things that were wrong. But in the front of the vase, it looked so beautiful. So I want to ask a question to you tonight. Who dropped you? We've all have been dropped at one point or another. You fall in love with someone You build a relationship, you build a future, everything is going to go beautiful, you build a wonderful life, marriage falls apart. You can never trust again. If you ask someone who has gone through a divorce, they will say it is as something died inside of them. Somebody dropped them. You raise up your children in the ways of the Lord. You love them, you take care of them, you give them more than they should have. You work two jobs, you provide, you do everything for them, and then they grow up and they forgot about you. They dropped you. You begin to pray about a career. You start working, you start planning, you build a partnership. And as you prepare for your career, they go back on their promises and you're no longer included. They dropped you. You come to church, you build friends with people, You join the ministry, something happens, the enemy gets in the way, you feel like somebody dropped you. So I want to ask you a question tonight. What do you do when you have been dropped? What does the Bible say about these matters when you have been dropped? There's a beautiful passage that is found in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 4, and it's a story about Saul Jonathan and a young man named Mephibosheth. And the story goes like this, beginning with 2 Samuel chapter 4. Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. So picture this. The nurse hears that Jonathan and Saul have been killed in battle. And she picks up little Mephibosheth. And in that moment, little Mephibosheth's life comes to a complete turn. In a moment, whether you realize it or not, our life can turn like that. A limitation now has been placed on his life because he is crippled on both feet. He lost something dear to him. Imagine as a five-year-old kid trying to play with your friends, but you are crippled. Imagine the things that may have been said about him or to him or ridiculed in that playground when he was crippled. And one of the reasons why the nurse was running, because the moment Saul and Jonathan were killed, it was customary in the eastern area of that land that they should kill the entire family. Why? Because they did not want 
Saul's son or Saul's grandson or Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, to be sitting on the throne. So it was customary that the entire family would be killed. Some time passes and King David is sitting on the throne and he's in his palace in a season of resting from all his enemies. And King David remembers a conversation that he had with his friend Jonathan. First Samuel 20, 14, Jonathan had said to David, and may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful, faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So David remembers that conversation. And then David remembers a conversation he had with Saul. And Saul says, and now I realize that you are surely going to be the king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me, he's telling David, swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. So it is here that David is remembering this conversation that he had. So then David says this. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. And he said, are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am. Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's Jonathan's son is still alive, but he is crippled in both feet. Where is he? King David asked. He's in Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Micah, son of Amiel. And it is here where David in a moment is going to say, I want you to go get me Mephibosheth. You see, Mephibosheth was in a place called Lodabar. In Lodabar, there was nothing good there. There was nothing that came out of Lodabar. It was a barren land. It was a place filled with wilderness. It was a parched land. It was a place where everyone who was in Lodabar had been rejected. So imagine... Mephibosheth is crippled, and now he is in Lodabar with everyone who has been rejected in life. And whether you realize it or not, each and every one of us, at one point in our life or the other, we have our own Lodabar. We have our place where we hide. We have our place that we go to. When someone has offended us, when someone has hurt us, we go to a place where everyone looks like us. And this is where Mephibosheth is. The Bible says that David sent for him and brought him from Micah's house. Imagine that day, the chariots coming into Lodabar and the door coming on the knock of Mephibosheth's door. What must have gone through his mind? King David wants me, that means they're going to kill me. King David wants me, that means my life is over. They have finally found me. But little did he know the blessing that was before him. 
Verse 6 says his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant, King David. He bows to the ground because he realizes if there's one thing he is going to need now is mercy. Mercy. The King David replied, don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness. Because of my promise to your father, Jonathan, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Imagine that. Look at Mephibosheth's response. He bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Look at what he thought of himself. You see, when you spend time in low Debar, the enemy will do everything to destroy you. The enemy will do anything to destroy your mind. Mephibosheth is saying, why are you treating me with kindness when I am a dead dog? But what's so beautiful is that when he comes from Lodabar and he goes before the king and he begins to get on his knees for mercy and he begins to cry out, I believe that he's not only crying out to King David, but he's praying out to God, have mercy on me, God. And Sunday after Sunday, we will walk into this building. We will walk into this building on a Tuesday. We have no idea what the person next to you is going through. We don't know what they're facing. We don't know what's going on. And when we see them weeping, it's because they're saying, God, have mercy on me. Take me out of my load of bar, God. And I can see that moment when Mephibosheth He gets up and King David says to him, you're no longer going to be in Lodabar. You're going to be sitting at a table. And what's so beautiful about this story, the Bible tells us that from that moment on, he sat at the king's table and he ate with everyone that was there. And what's so beautiful about this story is that when Mephibosheth sits down at that table, he was covered with a tablecloth of grace. They did not see his crippleness because a tablecloth of grace was covering his feet. I wonder tonight, how many are here tonight and God has covered your crippleness and we have forgotten to thank God for that. I wonder tonight, How many of us have forgotten to thank Almighty God from where he took us from? And how he has covered us with grace. But all we do is say, God, where are you? God, I don't see you. God, I don't feel you. And God is saying, you have no idea the grace that I'm covering you with. And look at the last verse. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. 
Every morning that you and I wake up, ladies and gentlemen, God has a table prepared for us to eat. And at that table, we have the grace of Almighty God. So I want us to pray tonight. Because you are either in three places. You are either in Lodabar tonight, where you have forgotten who you are in Christ. You are in Lodabar tonight, and, and the, you believe the lies of the enemy. You, you, you believe what Satan is telling you. And you are so discouraged because you feel as though God has missed you and forgotten about you. But I want to tell you tonight that tonight Jesus has come to knock on the door of your heart to say it is time to come out of blow the bar tonight. Or maybe you find yourself tonight like Mephibosheth. I'm not worthy, God. Have mercy on me. I'm not worthy, Lord. Please have mercy on me. God, please, I need you to come because I'm in a place where I need a breakthrough tonight. Speak to me, God. Make a way where there seems to be no way. Or maybe you find yourself in a place where God has done some things in the last couple of weeks and months that you should be saying, some months ago, I was not going to be eating at a table. The way things looked, the way things were going, oh, it was going to be bad. But then God came. God made a way where there seemed to be no way. And I can see Mephibosheth every day going there to that table crippled, probably singing, all my life you have been faithful. So listen to me carefully. The devil has told you that life is over. That you will never be the same. That you're damaged goods. That your time has passed. But I'm here to tell you tonight that God wants to bring you to the seat of the table. A table full of grace. If that's you, I want you to come out of your seat and stand at this altar and say, God, I am coming to an altar of grace tonight. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, oh, I'm in low the bar. God, I, I, I'm going to come singing. I'm going to come worshiping. I'm coming out of my low the bar tonight. I'm going to worship your name because you've been good to me. Let me just share this with you tonight. You know, the enemy never stops. He never stops. But God never stops either. My son Stephen just had a beautiful little boy. His name is Henry Alexander. And watch this. If there's something the enemy would always trip me up with, was this. You see, I looked fine, but I was crippled on the inside. You look fine, but we're crippled on the inside. At the age of two months old, my dad walked out on me, left us in the projects of Red Hook, me, my mother, and my sister. And what no one has known is that every time I saw a two-month-old baby, 
the enemy would always play a film in my mind. And I would say, how in the world could a man walk out on a baby who's so vulnerable? How in the world could a man leave his family with a baby that's only two months old? And any time I saw a baby that was two months old, I would just look at that baby and see how vulnerable and, 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 and how fragile that baby is. And the other night I had my little grandson in my arms. And as I'm holding him, I began to talk to him. And I began to say, Henry, it was at your age when someone dropped me. But I want to thank Almighty God publicly tonight. Because when the moment I said those words, I felt the Holy Spirit come into the room and say to me, from the age of two months old, my grace has been upon you. It is my grace that has been upon you. And immediately I came back and I said, oh my Lord. And from two months old, I have been sitting at a table of grace and did not even realize it. So I'm here to tell you tonight that even though you may not see God, even though you may not have the answer, there is grace covering you morning, noon, and night. Let me leave you with the word of God tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in the message version. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angels did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that I was glad to let it happen, I quit focusing on the handicap and began to appreciate the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take my limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that used to cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bed breaks, I just let Christ take them over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger he becomes. So God, we come before you tonight. Thank you for this beautiful story that is in the Bible to remind us that even though we may be crippled there's a table of grace where you can bring us to thank you that you are reminding us oh God that even when everyone has given up on us you are still in control Lord thank you God that even when things look hopeless you are faithful and thank you, Lord, that you can bring us out of our low bars tonight. And we are coming to a table of grace 
where we can feast with you, O Lord. So as we leave this place tonight, we are leaving different than the way we came in. We are leaving victorious. We are leaving knowing God is in control. God is in control. We are not going to believe the lies of the enemy any longer because God is in control. God, we cannot sit at a table of grace and live in low bar. No, we can't. So God, teach us to live in peace at this table of grace, oh God. Teach us to have the joy of the Lord at this table of grace, oh God. And God, send your Holy Spirit to remind us the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. What the enemy meant for evil, God has turned it around for good. He's turned it around for good. And so, Lord, right now, we just want to lift our voices one more time and give you a hallelujah and say thank you, Jesus, and praise you because you've been a good God. You've been a merciful God. You've been a wonderful God. Thank you for being patient with us, oh God. Give your children traveling mercies as we leave. Make your face shine upon us. Be with us, oh God. Help us to have a blessed week. Bring us back on Sunday. I pray for our pastor who's away for a couple of days of rest. Strengthen his body. Strengthen his mind. Bring him back on Sunday so that we can be encouraged. But we leave encouraged today because you have been faithful. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless you.